On 4th of July, the iconic ice cream company, Ben & Jerry's, decided they needed to put out a tweet. And as most Americans were gathering together, maybe with their family for a barbecue in the backyard, maybe for a huge town-wide event at a local park, getting ready to either blast their own or go watch fireworks, just celebrating America as most Americans do on the 4th of July. Here is how Ben & Jerry's decides to celebrate America on the same day. Quote, The United States was founded on stolen indigenous land. This 4th of July, let's commit to returning it. But Ben & Jerry has a problem. I mean, it's easy to say that. It's easy to tweet out those words when there's no consequence or repercussions for your actions. Yeah, there are going to be progressive people who are going to be cheering on Ben and Jerry's for denouncing European colonization and theft of the land from the Native Americans. As good progressive scouts, they received their social justice badge for the year. Now, when I first heard this story, I remember thinking, it would be funny if a Native American tribe demanded the lands at every Ben and Jerry's corporate office, store, whatever is on. That would be funny. And I must have rubbed the lamp because some genie answered my wish. Don Stevens, chief of the Nulhegan Band of the Kosuk Abenaki Nation, a tribe recognized in the state of Vermont, where Ben & Jerry's corporate offices are located, told Newsweek, quote, It was always interested in reclaiming the stewardship of our lands. The problem was that nobody had ever approached them about returning their tribe's land to them until this tweet from Ben & Jerry's. So do you think Ben & Jerry's is going to willingly give over ownership of their stolen land to the Abenaki Nation? Yeah, me neither. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? FanSchool. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. This is one of our regular episodes. It really did come about from reading that Ben and Jerry's tweet on the 4th of July. 
And then <laughs> that was great that the tribal leader basically said, okay, you can start with us. Give us our land back. And in today's episode, I'm going to talk about this because this is something that is presented in history classes as something that's sound reasoning. And I'll talk about why it isn't. That virtue signaling in general just sucks. But if you enjoy what you're hearing, please feel free to share out this podcast with family and friends. Remember, it's the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. You can go on anchor.fm and look for the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you saw this through a tweet, retweet it. Saw it on Facebook, share it out. And typically, again, I always say this, I lean conservative. I'm not MAGA, Trump, Republican, but... I know a lot in social studies, in social studies education, the liberal view is promoted. Now, one thing, you, you, you want to see if your school, where your school is at in terms of conservative liberalism. I'm going to tell you, if somebody said this, I'm like, that. that is an easy way, because everybody's talking about books in libraries, right? Here's one for you. President Trump has been out of office for two and a half years when, as I'm making this audio. Ask your school library if they have a book on him about his presidency. It should be there. I mean, it's been two and a half years. You would think they've had two chances to get a book in on him. And if not, why not? Now, I've never voted for him. So I'm not saying this as, again, as a MAGA Republican, as President Biden would say. I'm saying this as a teacher, as a the man was president of the United States, like it or not. And some of you may not like it. There are some presidents I don't like. I think Woodrow Wilson was the worst president ever. I don't care what you say about Trump. Wilson was a, he's an outright racist. He was our president. But I wouldn't deny that he should have a book in the library. He was a president of the United States. And I think a lot of people have this view of schools that they're going to be very liberal and that causes a political conflict. But not every teacher thinks like that. And if you're a teacher listening, maybe you come here because a friend of yours said, hey, you know, I know we're hearing a lot of things in our district, in our school, we think that every teacher thinks the liberal line, the democratic line, the progressive line. Because I would even say some liberals that I know are starting to feel even uncomfortable with the progressive movie. It's going too far. And I hope here just to give you another way of looking at things. Hopefully as a parent, if you're listening and you're saying the same thing, I, I don't I think it should be a good balance between conservative and liberal views. I don't want it going too far progressive, just like I don't want it going too far alt-right. You know, you, you want to kind of keep it to the middle, keep it balanced. That's my approach. So I'm hoping I'm giving you a different view. A lot of people would say, well, going in the middle, now the moderate is the worst place to be because you get both sides mad at you. So be it. So be it. Uh, I just hope to present something different. I still think that voice is necessary. And it's one of the reasons why I put out these podcasts as well as so I don't have so I can say my points of view and not have to bother my wife with them every day. As I've always said, this podcast also has saved my marriage. If you'd like to get into discussion with me, the best way to do that is to email me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference podcast 411 all together. One word at gmail.com. Going back to the Ben and Jerry's tweet, you know, this is called virtue signaling. There's no cost. It just makes you look good. Problem is, somebody called them out on it. 
and we'll start to realize that those are just empty words. Recently, I was on Twitter, and I noticed the actor Mark Ruffalo. I think he played the Hulk in some of the Marvel movies. He tweeted this out. For all you climate deniers who have worked for the oil and gas industry, mostly you flagrant politicians, you have screwed us, your children, and the generations to come, all for greed and selfishness, especially Lee Raymond and Exxon. And then he quotes that the earth is at its hottest in a thousand years. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion about climate change, pro, con, whatever. And, and my view is kind of nuanced on that. It doesn't take, you know, it doesn't go totally one side or the other anyhow. But it's, I'm not really a scientist, so I'm not really into it. But, but this is what annoyed me about it. I am confident that Mr. Ruffalo in the last year has left more of a carbon footprint, has burned more gasoline flying from place to place than I have in 20 years. Maybe even 30 years. I'm going to tell you why. One, don't drive that far. Two, don't fly. I haven't flown since 1994. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? But Mr. Ruffalo sure has. What is he doing? What is he doing to reduce his carbon footprint? Kind of like Ben and Jerry's. It's easy to spout off things like that to get those slaps on the back from all your progressive friends. But the reality is, you're, you're part of the problem, Mark. You are absolutely part of the problem. You know, until I start seeing some of these actors and actresses and singers who are saying all this stuff about the use of fossil fuels, cut it out and knock it off, I don't want to hear it. I don't. I don't want to hear it from them. Because they're shaming me in the fact that my family drove down to Myrtle Beach for a nice vacation a few weeks ago. And almost like that should make us feel guilty because we used all that gas. But how much guilt does he have jet-setting from place to place all around the world this year? I'm not feeling ashamed. You, neither should you. Like I said, it's just empty words. He's not putting his money where his mouth is. In terms of virtue signaling, and I'll get back to the stolen land in a minute. In terms of virtue signaling, I've stopped wearing certain clothes for certain days. For example, I will wear, let's say they say wear red support our school to kind of show your pride at Black River Middle School. I'll do that. I'm a member of the Black River community. I will do that. I'm proud to teach where I teach. But other than that, I don't wear, show that you support this, wear this. Show that you support that, wear that. Like So about five or six years ago, this the day was wear red to show that you don't fall for peer pressure. Like I said, I don't virtue signal. There's a verse in the Bible that Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I don't. I shouldn't have to wear a color to prove anything. Judge, you know, kind of, if you've been listening to my book series, we were doing how to be an anti-racist or how to raise an anti-racist, and I've talked about my concerns about that view from Dr. Kendi. One of the things I keep on stressing is the idea of being judged by the content of your character. I would much rather, as a teacher, with my students, with my colleagues, be judged for my character than the fact that I'm wearing red on show you don't fall for peer pressure by wearing a red shirt today day. So I would show up in blue. And a couple of kids didn't. You know, most kids had red on. Some kids didn't. Some of them forgot. 
And I, you know, probably most of them forgot. But one student, pretty, he was one of my favorite students. He was very, um, he, he, he was willing just to say whatever he thought. And he was also a baseball player and a soccer player for me as well. And he's in my homeroom. And I, I walk in and the day's starting. And you can see this sea of red in front of me with a couple of like different color shirts. Maybe four or five kids, including myself, not wearing red. So this guy raises his hand up and says, Mr. Cullen, so do you fall for peer pressure? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes... You're not wearing red today. You're supposed to wear red to show that you don't fall for peer pressure. So obviously you fall for peer pressure. And I look around the room at all the red shirts and I say, I don't know. The way I'm seeing it, I'm one of the few people who didn't fall for peer pressure. Now they're seventh graders and they were kind of stumped by that. But there was one kid, there was this quiet kid in the back of the classroom, didn't say much, even when he talked very soft-spoken. He's laughing. I don't think he was wearing a red shirt either that day. But he is laughing. And I've never seen him laugh like that before. And without giving his name away, you get it, right? You get what I'm saying. And he's shaking his head yes. And he starts to quietly explain to people. But the fact that Mr. Cullen chose not to wear red, he's showing he doesn't fall for peer pressure. Right? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Now, I know our school, like several, many schools across, across the country, after the Parkland shooting, they arranged for kids to have a walkout over school shootings. Now, I chose not to participate. It had nothing to do with my view about school shootings. It had nothing to do with my view of the Second Amendment. Again, I'm not a Second Amendment absolutist. So we're not talking, I'm not a member of the NRA here. So it's not because of my view on guns. It wasn't because that I don't fear school shootings. I, I do believe we have to take proper precautions. I, what I personally believe is I think the, we need to look at our culture and our society as a whole rather than just address guns. Yes, let's address the gun issue, but that has to be more expansive than that if you really want to. I think just today I read... In China, a kindergarten was attacked. Kindergartners were attacked by a guy with a knife who broke into the school and started killing people with a knife. That, that's what I mean by, I'm okay with talking about guns if you're willing to talk about everything. But let's go back to this walkout over Parkland. So the school arranged it without penalty that there'd be an announcement that kids would walk out to the back of the school to protest or to bring awareness to the need for better protection or even to take away guns, whatever. About, you know, it's about Parkland and about guns. I chose not to do it. Nothing to do with guns or the statement. What I, one of the things my concerns was is where does it stop? And if a child came up to you and said, I would like to do the same thing for abortion, would you allow them? And, and before you say, well, well, school shootings affect those kids, that kid can make the argument, I may have lost some classmates because they were aborted. Why isn't that important? It's very important to me. It's very important to these 20 kids. And again, I would not feel being pro or con the issue, I don't feel it's right for the school to promote protest. In fact, the funny thing is what the kids should have done is just march out of the school. The fact that the school promoted it kind of defeats the purpose. I mean, if you really think about it, the kids who were protesting more is the kids who chose not to go. 
if you think about it, right? Think about that. School's promoting a walkout. Some kids choose not to walk out. Who are the real protesters? But I'm not going to slam, and don't judge my school harshly here for their decision because I get it. You know, one a, a good argument made that could be made for them allowing this is the fact that it does keep it all under control. It doesn't spiral out. The fact that they dictated and the kids were okay with like a 15-minute walkout that was all you know, teacher monitored. It was at a certain time. It ended at a certain time. It could be said that that was good management and probably the wise and best decision to make. So I don't, even though my concern would be, I would have said I, I wouldn't have had in the first place. At the same time, if there was a concern that kids are just going to walk out anyhow, and we, we are on a major road, and what happens if they start crossing the street into the park across the street from our school? You know, what happens if a kid gets hit? I get it. It made sense. So I don't fault the administration for making that decision. Another thing about virtue signaling and raise awareness, a couple of years ago, you may have remembered the ice bucket challenge for ALS. You know, it's sad. I know at least three people who have died, passed away of ALS, all lived around the same area. It's, it's sad. But I was challenged in the ALS challenge by a, a friend of mine who's a colleague, as well as some former students. They posted a video on Facebook calling me out. It was really neat. Um, we want our coach, Coach Cullen, go Bulldogs, you know, to do the ice bucket challenge. So my video <laughs> was me sitting on my kid's, like, fort on their swing set with an ice bucket next to me and me saying that I was not going to dump the ice bucket on myself, that I was going to use the ice bucket for ice, for my nice lemonade I had on a hot day. And instead of dumping the ice bucket on my head, I was actually going to give money to ALS research. Now, my nephew, who was a teen, like maybe like 17, 18 years old, he and I had a good back and forth about this. I'm like, did you donate money, Bobby? He's like, no, I raised awareness. I dumped the bucket on my head and I raised awareness for ALS. I go, now you could have dumped the bucket on your head and gave some money to ALS research. What, what, what's really the goal here? Was it that you get a little wet and look funny on a video and challenge people to do it? Or to get some research for a very tragic disease, you know, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Making statements like Ben and Jerry's about stolen land, or actually when you're presented with the opportunity to return the stolen land, to actually return it to a Native American tribe who says the land where your corporation is, was our land. Let's go back to stolen land for the second part of this podcast episode. Now, we see this typically around Thanksgiving, Native Americans, like there's one commercial where this, there's these Native American young ladies are sitting around a table, Thanksgiving table, and they talk about all the atrocities that ha occurred by the colonists and Americas, how they reneged on treaties. And at the end of the commercial, they overflip the table, the turkey and all the cranberry sauce and everything on it. Were Native Americans mistreated? Absolutely. Did we renege on some of our treaties with them? Absolutely. But what do we do about it now? How do you make restitution without creating an inequity for somebody else? For somebody who may have immigrated here in the early 1900s. 
Now I'm going to tell you a story. Now, most of my family are immigrants except for the Cullen line. The Cullen line actually was here pre-revolution. There's a guy named Admiral Barry, and if you know your American history, you will know that he's considered the father of the American Navy. I know a lot of people say John Paul Jones is, but Barry, look up Admiral Barry, okay, and you'll find out a good history lesson about him. I am not a direct descendant. I believe his mother was a Cullen, and one of her brothers or sisters, had to be her brother, obviously, uh, was my descendant. So back then, my family were cousins with Admiral Barry. I grew up in New Jersey, and I believe during the Revolution, my family was down near the Philadelphia area, so we were on the East Coast. But by the mid-1800s, my line of the family was out in Indianapolis. They were called back to New York. They, uh, I believe the parents died young, and they were called back to New York because they inherited land in Manhattan. And my father tells the story that an unscrupulous lawyer had them sign for the land, but basically had them sign the rights away and gave them some money for it, but it was nowhere near the money. My father always muses. He's like, just imagine the land that we lost, that we inherited, may have been Rockefeller Center. So my family settled in New Jersey. They really had no money because they received very little money for their inheritance. They were far away from home, couldn't make it back to Indianapolis, so they settled in New Jersey, and that's how I am where I am today. So do we go back in history now to find out who that lawyer was who defrauded my ancestors and take money that is rightly ours from his family of today? Do we go back to New York City and figure out what parcel of land in Manhattan was the inheritance that my family received and force whatever is there to pay fair market value to us? Because in a sense, it was stolen from us. Now, you would say, of course not. That's, you know, it was wrong what the lawyer did, but we can't do that. But wait a minute. That lawyer's family and whoever owns that land they have a financial windfall. They might be millionaires, billionaires today because one of their ancestors defrauded my ancestors. How is that fair? They benefited from somebody else's ill action towards my family. Now you see the stolen lands argument coming to its fruition, can't you? Hopefully you can see the connection I'm making there. If we were to do that for every single time to try to make restitution, you couldn't. You just could not do it. In life, people get away with things that are bad. It's wrong. It's unjust. But to try to now, hundreds of years later, try to make it all right. One of my favorite TV shows in college when I first started working was a show called Quantum Leap, where um, Scott Bakula played a man named Sam Beckett and he would he was unstuck in time he would go to different parts of history and make right what went wrong that was the whole it was a gr great TV show if you've ever seen it and he would always find himself in somebody else's body trying to fix a mistake and he wouldn't leave that person to go to another time period until it was made right that's a TV show we can't do that. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. We don't have the money. The best we can do is say, we can't allow that to happen again. What are we doing today right now? Kind of like the Mark Ruffalo thing. Okay, you're all against fossil fuels, but you sure do use a lot of it. 
why don't you cut back first before you shame other people who are not as wealthy to cut back on it? Now, as a history teacher, how do we approach this? A lot of the more progressive ways to approach it is to say that Ben and Jerry's is right, that all of America is stolen land. And again, what it does, if you're, again, if you're listening to the book series, it's the idea of there are some people doing it for good reasons. It is unjust. I'm sure that some people would say, you know what, coach, not just what happened to the Native Americans here was unjust, but actually what happened, I agree with you, what happened to your ancestors was unjust. And they genuinely feel bad. But there are other people who are using that feeling of injustice to try to make demands and changes to how we view our founding documents, that it's all corrupted, that they have a better way. They know what's best. And they're ideologues. So we have to, when you're looking at this, you have to understand the two, the difference between people who are generally feel, have a feeling of injustice and those who are trying to rein in or gather that anger for their ideological and progressive ends, especially when it comes to our founding documents like the Declaration and the Constitution, that which really holds us together as Americans, since we are such a diverse people. In response, a psychologist, he has a PhD in psychology, his name, I just saw this on Twitter, and I thought this was pretty good, so I want to read it to you. His name is, his name is Chris Ferguson. Here's what he said about the whole Ben and Jerry's thing, or at least that's what he's probably talking about since it was tweeted out a few days after 4th of July. Saying land was stolen from Native Americans is probably misleading. It's more accurate to say it was conquered via norms that pretty much every culture, including Native Americans, abode by until the 20th century. They fought hard, but respectfully lost. So initially what he's saying is we have to understand that when the colonists came over, they conquered the land. Even if you disagree with the stolen land concept, you have to say that. The colonists conquered the land. The reason America is what it is today because it's conquered land. Not stolen, conquered. And it, he alludes to something there that a lot of people don't know. He talks about other people did it, which I think everybody knows. When you, you go back in history, in all continents, you see this role of conquest over other people groups and their lands. But he says Native Americans did it too. For some reason, we have this view of Native Americans. A lot of people have this view of Native Americans. They're all peace-loving. Uh, they, they lived off the land. They were one with the land and one with each other. It's a myth. It's not true. There were conquests as well. I'm not saying the other part didn't happen. It's, they were just like everybody else. I'm sure they had their religions that preached peace. And I'm sure they had their tribal leaders who led war. Here's a part of the first Thanksgiving story, the pilgrims and the Native Americans, that is really rarely discussed. The Wampanoag, that's the Native American tribes that were helping the pilgrims as they landed. They signed a peace treaty with them. One of the reasons for this peace treaty is that that area was devastated by some disease, could be smallpox or plague, but it killed off a good number of them. They were in a weakened position. There was another tribe to the west of them, the Narragansett, who they were fearful 
would take advantage of them in their weakened position. Thus, they formed a treaty with the colonists. What did they fear? They feared conquest by the Narragansett. Now, here's something that was written by William Bradford about this peace treaty with the Wampanoag. The tribal leader, Alsa Mequin, has a potent adversary in the Narragansetts that are at war with him, against whom he thinks we may be of some strength to him, for our pieces, guns, are terrible to them. So, the Wampanoag saw in the colonists allies against further conquest or the ability to conquer their area by the Narragansett. So I'm going to reread what Dr. Ferguson tweeted out. Saying land was stolen from Native Americans is probably misleading. It's more accurate to say it was conquered via norms that pretty much every culture, including Native Americans, abode by until the 20th century. They fought hard, but respectfully lost. Of course, it's good that we have changed those norms and no longer live by them, though watch Russia, China, etc. And we should work to help outcomes for Native Americans today. I, side note, I agree with that. Um, if you know anything about Native Americans who are still living on the reservations, it's not good. Their suicide rates are very high. Alcoholism is very high. If you want to talk about a group of people in the United States that the United States government as a whole, Republican and Democrat, have neglected, it's Native Americans who live on reservations. And instead of making commercials about overthrowing turkeys on Thanksgiving and saying it's stolen land, why not petition your congressman to do something about Native Americans who live on reservations? Let me reread that section of Dr. Ferguson's tweet again. We should work to help outcomes from Native Americans today and integrate Native Americans into U.S. society. But we should stop pretending we're ever going to give the land back. We're not or that Native Americans were any less inclined to conquest they weren't, or that we need to keep apologizing for things that happened 150 plus years ago. We don't. All the virtue signaling in the world are not helping Native Americans. Ben and Jerry's tweet is not doing anything to help Native Americans. All it's doing is making Ben and Jerry's look good in the eyes of some progressive Americans and does nothing for the people they're claiming they're helping. As a social studies teacher, not only do I believe that it's wrong to teach students today that we can rectify a problem that happened 100, 200, 300 years ago, but it's also untruthful to say the land was stolen. It's more accurate to say it was conquered. And it's not just European colonists or American colonists or whatever you want to say who did that. For example, Turkey. Let's look at Turkey today. I'm not talking about Thanksgiving right now. The country. The Turks. Do you know where the Turks are native to? They're not native to Turkey in the Anatolia Peninsula, I'll tell you that. They're from Central Asia. They're from Mongolia. They were chased out of Central Asia by the Mongols. And they were able to conquer the Roman Empire, or we call the Byzantine Roman Empire. Mehmed II conquers Constantinople in 1453. And after World War I, the Ottoman Turks give way to the Republic of Turkey. When's the last time you've heard a call for the Turks 
to give up their stolen land back to the Greeks. I'm waiting. You don't. And that's not the only case, and you know it. It's not the only case of a country that has conquered another people's territory that still hold on to it today. And they may have conquered it in the Turks' case almost 600 years ago. So why is there this push to claim stolen land by the American colonists that we don't claim for other people groups around the world and other nations? Now, what I'm about to say here is going to be misconstrued. I'm going to say it, and I don't care. And if you misconstrue it, it's on you. Shame on you. Things aren't perfect in the United States. But... If we're talking about things like stolen land, when we don't use that term for people like the Turks, and we understand that conquest was a part of human history, but we don't give that same benefit in understanding what happened here in the United States, I say it's because we're looking for a problem to protest. And I'm just going to let that thought percolate in your heads. If Ben and Jerry's really believed what they said... They should give back their corporate lands, starting tomorrow, to the Abenaki Nation. But they won't. Because the reality is this. They believe the land was conquered, not stolen too. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers. They can be parents. They can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.